Hey, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, I got Jason here with us, and we're finishing up the last episode of our Pillar of Influence. And it's so fitting how it is corresponding with the current times and the experiences that are going on in our world right now. So I'm looking forward to getting into this one. And the main theme that we're going on is who are you, which ties our identity, our strength, the courage, and then the influence, which means the environment that you're being put into to allow all this to emerge. Super excited to finish up this pillar, not because I'm happy that it's ending, but there's kind of a culmination to everything we've been talking about for months now. And like Brian said, you really see a lot of it playing out in the world right now. So we're not going to talk a lot about coronavirus, you know, how often you should be washing your hands. You guys have already gotten all that information, but we want to talk about influence and whether you realize it or not, which I mean, you probably do, you're seeing a lot of influence and how it's changing behaviors, changing perspectives right now, whether it's positive or negative. Um, and so it's kind of fitting that the stuff we've been building up on identity, strength, courage, and finally influence, there's kind of an opportunity now to see it play out in a very real way. And so we wanted to get some specific examples in on, on what people do in crazy circumstances and what influence looks like. And it's fitting that it's St. Patrick's Day because he's a person in history that Brian and I have been talking about the last week or so. Yeah, we're just going to get right into him because I think his life and his story actually model this in a really powerful way. So here's a boy at the age of 16 years old, uh, growing up in Britannia uh, under the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire now at this point is shrinking back and the Celts have come in and they've taken over some of the settlements of Britannia, uh, currently England, Ireland area. And he is at 16 years old captured and is now a slave. And so as a slave of the Celts, he's put out into the farmland. And so his job is to be a shepherd. And I think it's interesting of other shepherds throughout history that have had similar type of experiences. And it, it kind of ties, but back to Patrick. So he found himself um, as a boy. And he said this, that in the seventh year, so seven years, he's a slave. So he goes into slavery in around 401 AD. He's a slave for seven years. I just want you to ponder that for a moment. You grew up in a home, being kind of prepared for Roman uh, priesthood and uh, being part of the Roman church um, at the time when it was just kind of exploding. And that was something that was um, kind of, it was an honor. It wasn't an underground church. It was, it was an honor of that era. And this is what he's prepared for. And now you find yourself coming from an educated family to being thrown into slavery and losing your family at such a critical age in a land that you grew up in, but but not really your home. You're taken back to Ireland, you're, it's not your home. And so you found yourself in complete circumstances outside of your control, outside of your uh, what you've experienced before, outside of any one uh, friendship. And so he said this, he said, hunger, loneliness and cold were his best friends. I just want you to kind of picture that. You're, you're a slave, you're hungry, you're alone, you're cold, and that's your life for seven years. And in the story, um, it's written by the book Thomas Cahill, How the Irish Saved Civilization, a really great historian, went through some of the details of his life. 
and he would take a psalm or a scripture and all day he would he began practicing just praying it reciting it meditating on it thinking about it and he became consumed with these scripture verses it was his only interaction and remembrance and concept of who he was in this world and this is what happened in the seventh year a voice awakened him and it said your hungers are rewarded you are going home look your ship is ready and i think this is interesting that in that moment it's it and it's probably at a moment where he's just abandoned himself to the fact this is what your life is going to be like forever until you die and so he's abandoned to that idea and it was almost like he becomes settled in the idea yet the the meditation and the thing that he is magnifying is his only reality and i uh which is referring to the scriptures and the things that he was praying and he said he would pray up to a hundred times a day and again, I want to get off the idea of works. If I pray a hundred times a day, if I meditate on that one scripture, then everything will be better. That wasn't the thought process based on history that he was coming to. That was just where he gave his heart to of his sense of connection to something bigger than the place he was. And there's many places in scripture it talks about magnify the Lord. Look to the salvation of the Lord, magnify him. And if you really look at what he, what uh, the psalmist was saying, whether it was David or Korah or some of the other psalmists that wrote, wrote the book of Psalms, what they were saying is take what you're in the middle of and demagnify it by magnifying the real source of it. And when that becomes magnified, even if your situation doesn't look like it changes, who you are to that circumstance and who he is to that circumstance magnifies and it becomes bigger than the situation you're in. If you just look at our modern media, um, there's a lot of, well, I recommend not looking <laughs> at social media because by the time you're done, you're so confused. You don't know anything that's actually going on. Yep. But it's easy to magnify something that we can't even see. Like we can't even see the coronavirus with our eyes. Someone has to magnify that thing in order for us to see it. And the more we magnify it, the more real it becomes and the more dangerous it becomes, even though we've lived with other dangerous things. And there's other factors to this with the spreading. So I'd, to just try to compare that idea, but I'm just trying to get to the point of magnification. And so if God becomes magnified, your savior becomes magnified, who, what he's provided for you has become magnified, who your real source of life and, and an eternal perspective that this is just a small slot in time, compared to an eternity, and we start magnifying from that, where does our brain go? How do we think? How do we reason? How do we process what's happening around us? So back to Patrick is, um, again, that voice comes to him, and it's interesting in that moment, he was no longer a slave. The moment he that word came to him, he was no longer a slave, even though technically he was. And it talks about the story that he walked almost 200 miles to a coast. Nobody stopped him. Nobody changed his course. I mean, think about it. A slave doesn't just walk off the property. And he's marked as a slave, so everyone knows he's a slave. And he just leaves. 200 miles, no one interferes with his travel. He gets to the coast, goes to a ship. Even the ship owners know he's a slave. But there was this favor, and they let him on the ship. 
amazing story. God does miracles, feeds the shipmates when they land on uh, the French coast, which was not France at that time, but they, they land on the coast. And all of a sudden these miracles of food take place. There was a famine. Um, the shipmates say we're going to die. They wanted to kill Patrick because he was probably the reason why they were going to die. And he calls on God and a herd of pigs come in, their favorite food, and they, are, they feast and they recognize who's with them. He makes it all the way back to Rome. Everything changes. He's no longer a slave. He's free from all that. All because of what was on the inside of him and the connection to what he was glorifying transformed his perspective and his hearing, and he navigated out of that. But that's not the end of the story, because that would be dealing with identity and strength, right? You have this identity, you discover who you are, you discover what you're not, and the, and the strength and the fortitude to walk off. All about you. Now, all of a sudden, he's in Rome. Everything is great. Now, what's interesting is in 432, so again, he went into slavery at 401, left seven years later, 432. So years later, he's living in Rome, and he's wakened by a dream. And in the dream, he saw the images of the Irish. And the image came and said, we beg you to come and walk among us once more. Now, all of a sudden, courage has taken place. So in this dream, he's asking him to go back. Now, would you want to go back? There is no good memory whatsoever of this place. There's no good memory of any aspect of this. This was torture to you. And I'm sure you did not want to reacquaint yourself with your friends of hunger, loneliness, and cold. I don't think that was the reuniting he was looking for. But as those words come, it says, we beg you to come. And it says that he was stabbed in the heart and he awakened and the voice came. And whenever I say the voice, I'm referring to God's voice, not just a voice, but the voice. The voice came and it says, he who gave his life for you, he it is who speaks within you. And no longer, it says that Patrick no longer looking at his heart and Patrick no longer looking at his heart. But at the heart of others, he left for Ireland to the land of his captors. And history goes on. Now, I don't know if you realize what happened in Ireland when he went back. But I, first of all, I want you to picture this. He no longer looked at what he was, even though that was critical in the first part of his journey. He now began looking at others. Like he became free from himself to begin to go out. And I thought this was really fascinating. He became the first documented missionary outside of the protection of the Roman Empire. We know about Thomas going into India, but there's not a lot of documentation on that. So when I'm talking about documented, where we can actually look at the journey. Paul was a missionary within the Roman Empire. But um, Patrick went outside of the protections of Rome, and it's documented. So that's what I mean by the first documented uh, missionary. So he goes out and armed with the belief, so this was his belief, armed with the belief that the slave master could become a liberator, a slave could be free, a murderer could bring life, and, under, and the underclass could sit with kings. 
And he begins seeing this happen by one simple message. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And if you read his, his writings, he has this great poem that says, Christ in me, Christ around me, Christ through me, Christ all over me. And, and he, this, this idea of who he was to God and who Christ was to him so encompassed his life that he was free to do and go and be no matter what the situations were. And here's what happened in Ireland. The people who were feared by the Roman soldiers for their violent demonic displays, there's a lot to tell about that. The, the, the Celtic people caused fear in the Romans, and the Romans weren't a, an army that feared other armies, but the crazy actions of the Celts brought fear. They were a barbaric people known in the world for their cruelty, slavery, murder, and war. That's how they were known in history. The place where Patrick had a portion of his life stolen. So now think about this. This is the people you're going to go back to. But he wasn't thinking about himself because he knew who he was. He knew what he had. He knew what was in him. He knew what was with him. He knew what was around him. And he knew that voice, which if you go back to strength, we were talking about hearing his voice. Those are the key things that, that bring us to that place. Catch this. At the time of Patrick's death, Ireland became the first nation to stop slavery, women were elevated, and the violent warrings was radically reduced. The new monks began to copy the Latin writings of Rome, saving a culture that was destined for destruction by the, barbarian, bar, by the barbarians as Rome collapsed. With Rome of no influence, Matt, Patrick and his monks formed who were former warriors, now sacrificed their lives for a different kingdom. They went as missionaries throughout Europe, bringing the mess, simple message of good news of a loving God, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That became the history of Ireland in that time when Rome fell. And I just think it's absolutely amazing. These monks would go into Rome and they wrote down all of the writings of Rome before it got burned and got sacked. And the reason we have a lot of the history of the world today is because of those monks encapsulating it, writing it. And just think about the transformation. A nation transformed in the worst possible situation, in the worst possible events. And think, of, think about this. I think Patrick was happy in Rome. He had everything he needed. He was taken care of. And you leave the security of Rome to go here only to find the place that you thought was secure had no security because it ended up falling. And I'm not trying to create a, a, a prophetic picture of what's going on in our world today. What I want to really portray is if we can allow ourselves to become so magnified and consumed with who we are, whose we are, who is with us? What is in us? What is guiding us? It doesn't matter what the circumstances are around us. We've shown in history that this is what changes things, and it is the truest form of influence. That is St. Patrick. And what a model for even what's going on in today. Absolutely. And I think just hearing his whole story, and good job uh, summing that up, by the way, hearing his whole story how it walks through everything we've been talking about the last few months, it, it puts in perspective where we are right now. So I think the, the problem a lot of us have faced, me included, is we'll hear that story and then we'll look for similar circumstances to figure out how and where to jump in when it comes to 
influence when it comes to stepping out into something. But the whole point is that you can't start looking at the circumstances. So maybe what he was facing at the time was the worst thing in history. Maybe what we're facing right now is the worst thing in history. In a year or two years, we'll find out it was. Or maybe it'll be insignificant. None of that's the point. The point is how that influence began in him. And so seeing his journey is such an inspiration to me. And I hope everybody listening is taking a minute to let that sink in. I wanted to go back um, and dive a bit deeper into a couple of things that you pointed out in his life. You said it was about seven years before you heard that voice. Why was it seven years? Why did it take seven years for that voice to be heard or for the voice to speak? Everybody wants a formula to when do I actually hear God's voice? What are the steps that needs to be taken? The only thing I can see that's consistent with other characters is there just comes to a point, it, it's not an acceptance of your lot in life. Okay, I want to kind of remove that thing like, well, this is just what I am, so I'm just going to get used to it. But I would like to look at it maybe more of a prisoner. They're put in, and you just hit a point where, you know what, I can sit and fight all these circumstances around me, or I can make another decision. Now, what can happen is two things. One, apathy takes place, where you just don't care anymore. But that isn't what happened in Patrick. What Patrick did was something different. He found something that he could latch hold on that was truer than the situation that he was in. And I think that's a bigger piece. And he didn't stay at it because no one taught these. This There was no seven-step help, seven help books of how to get a healing, how to get delivered, how to, how to be successful in three weeks. That didn't exist. Thank God it didn't exist because I think it would have wrecked him. Mm -hmm. What did exist is the only thing he knew that brought some sense of life to him was the truths of, of those scriptures that he memorized as a boy. And so as those begin chewing on, think about David minding his sheep. He didn't go out to strive to be a king. He was stuck in a lot in life. He kind of got uh, railroaded by his brothers. He wasn't looked at as anybody significant in his family. And there's a sense of isolation that you are as a shepherd. Even today, there's some shepherds in parts of the world. I mean, they are isolated for months and months living out with the sheep until they bring them in. And so in that isolation, he made a choice. And in that time, a relationship with God became so personal and so tangible, I believe he came to a point where he just didn't consider the circumstances anymore. He kind of, he rose above them even though they didn't change. And in that contentment of who he was in the midst of the circumstances, when that crossed over the circumstances, he outgrew inside the circumstances. That's probably the best way I could, I could describe that situation. His inside outgrew the outside. And it's so interesting that isolation was something that brought him to that point. You see that in the life of David and a lot of other people that we've talked about over the last few months. It's almost as if isolation provides a really good opportunity for you to connect with that, I don't want to use the term that next level, or connect with what's going on, or being open to hear the voice of God when he's speaking to you. 
there's almost something about isolation that provides a really good opportunity for that. But we are pretty afraid of isolation, or at least we shrink back from it. Or maybe if we don't shrink back from it, when we do get isolated, some people take that as an opportunity to just kind of post and we become stagnant. And I wonder if he felt that at times, you know, years and years being a shepherd, I don't, maybe he wasn't every single day, this energetic go-getter with this identity and strength and courage. Maybe he dealt with fear and doubt. Maybe he dealt with uncertainty at times. I, I would say he dealt with all of that his whole time. I, I think there was moments where if he began looking at the situation, how horrible it was. And I would venture to say for a long time, he probably thought about the injustice of the whole thing and the anger at the whole thing and how unfair this was and how could I be treated like this? God, where are you? And I just think it's interesting that he never went and it was never a blame on God or, or even if it was, it transitioned into you've not abandoned me. And it, I think sometimes isolation, it doesn't mean you have to be all alone, but I think there comes a point where you have to cut off all the noise. That you have to you have yeah. to cut off all of the words and all of the things being said being said so you can hear the voice of what God is actually saying about you. I, I wouldn't be shocked if God was trying to speak that to him for many years. I, I'm not convinced that it just showed up on a on a designated day, that if he could just hold on till that day. I think it just took that long for him to have confidence in those words that were be were being spoken. Because once fear sets in and you become trapped to that, you become accustomed to your environment. So he probably just got used to shepherding and just this is the way it is. So I think it went from I'm going to fight to get out of this to this is just my lot in life. Now when he rose up, he no longer was rising up in his old Patrick. He was rising up in who Christ was in him, a different individual. So I think that seven years took him through a transformation of a way of thinking that was radically different. So do you think that was really the turning point um, for him? I guess you could say not having an influence on his circumstances versus later on. And after that point, especially when he goes back, you see him greatly influencing the circumstances to where the circumstances change as bad as they were. But the early part of his life, he, he wasn't doing that. So you, would it be... Would it be wrong to say in that first section of his life, he was not bound to the circumstances, but he was experiencing them and going through them, and he either couldn't change them or didn't change them. But then he left and came back to a point where things were different, and now he was affecting the circumstances. The reason I'm asking is, we'll look at, we'll look at situations and problems and panics and all this stuff. You know, some people ask, can I be an influence to change that? And some people just let that circumstance influence them. And I'm wondering for our application, what's the, what's the turning point there? You know, in, in, when you study like um, soldiers and going into an experience in battle, and um, I really love that series, Band of Brothers. And it's interesting, Easy Company got sent into every conflict the heart, like they were the first ones to get sent into every conflict and it got wearing. It's like, why do you keep picking us? But there came a point of their experience and they became, they, the, the things that would make them vulnerable and, and um, consumed with self-preservation was gone. 
that's what made them so that's why they kept using them it it wasn't it, they weren't happy with it but it just came to a point where we know you know how to get the job done we know you know what you are and you kind of understand that there is this old self-preservation was stripped away from them now it doesn't mean you're self sac you're you're just stupid with your life it means you you have developed a bigger core that your sacrifice you understood it for the sake of your brother next to you so now when you're going forward you weren't trying to i got to try to get home i got to try to get home now they all wanted to go home don't get me wrong i mean they they didn't want to be there but it really was more of how do i get my brother home how do i get my brother home and that there was a way of thinking that took place that some of the best troops and the best units to go put in are ones that have already had that experience of dealing with that because those those things that cause you to to get defeated and those things that cause you to actually cost more lives get stripped away because now you think with a rational thought you think with a different set of reasoning you look at the whole thing completely different you're more practical you're more uh, intuitive you could see what the enemy's doing there's an experience there that self-preservation causes you to 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 harm you in the panic and that's the biggest thing is there's so much panic going on but we have an era we have a generation that has grown up with no real major sacrifice we have a generation that has it's all about feelings and emotions truth is emotions and feelings is the real is the reality and you go back to a generation that came out of World War II, or you go back to a generation that came out of World War I, or you go back to a generation that came out of the Civil War, there is more of a level-headedness that it isn't about feeling. You want something that's core and that's true, and all of this other stuff is not. And we have a generation that's never experienced that before. And so now, when something happens, it's, I need toilet paper. And, and I'm not saying that that's necessarily wrong in and of itself. I'm just saying if you look at the the concept and the way of thinking when something happens, there's no core truth to stabilize on. And that's what Patrick found. He found a core truth to stabilize on regardless of what the situation was doing. And so when those that voice came to him and t said, it's time to leave, you're free, he could walk 200 miles. But get, keep in mind, his deliverance was it relief? God, God didn't just come in, you're free now, and bring a helicopter, pick him up, and carry him over. No, in his freedom, he had to now make decisions based on the truth of, what, of that word that was spoken to him, and he had to walk through the enemy's lines. He had to walk through all the things that held him captive. He had to walk through all those things, and now you see where in Psalms 23, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. I see that journey from who he was to the place where he was sitting at the table in the presence of his enemies. His cup was running over. He was anointed. He was, he was, his, the favor of him was, was all over him. And now he could go back amongst those that were against him. But that, that valley piece, we keep crying out, do something, do something, do something. But I do think, God is so merciful. He wants to bring relief, but he that that's just to get your heart restored so he can bring you into the place of who you are. And that is a walk through the valley. But when you know him in the in the in the shepherding or on the hillside, all of a sudden the rod and the staff they comfort you. 
So there's, in the natural, your brain could start thinking about fear, but you keep going to what's in your heart. What's that word that's spoken? And that begins guiding you, and it becomes the compass that takes you to places you had never thought for the bigger picture of influencing a world. And who would have ever thought? How would Patrick have ever caught the idea? They captured me as a slave to use me. Now I'm coming back as a free man, and, I'm, and I've changed the nation. And slavery has been removed. And I, I just think it's fascinating, but it wasn't a social justice call. It was just the fact of he brought what happened to him to the people, and it radically changed everything around him. What an opportunity. And it was never about himself. It was never about him coming back and shoving it in the faces of you know, the people that abused him before. It was about helping the people that were down. And you and I were talking about this a couple of days ago. We see that in such a pattern in the way God influences people, especially in the Old Testament, he doesn't come in and just, you know, flip a switch and get rid of the bad guys. He lifts people up so that they can rise to the level where they can deli essentially deliver themselves and deliver each other. Because it's you're not making someone a champion by just keeping them out of the fight or taking the enemy away all the time. For there to be growth, for there to be sons and daughters, there has to be rising up to the level they're meant to be, to the person they're meant to be. And I think that's a big difference in the way that some people perceive their response to a bad situation or their response to a panic. Because like you said, you've got the, the one mindset that's, man, there's a panic, I need to go out and get a bunch of this item and this item and this item so I have enough in case I'm locked away for a while. And, and that's generally justified from a self-preservation mindset. And it's, you know, I've got to have this if I'm going to be cooped up for a while. But if you're looking at the motivation behind it, who are you helping in that way? Like, are you, are you going to help even one other person by your actions here? And so it doesn't really matter if you do go to the store and stock up or you don't. The action isn't the point. The point is what's your motivation behind it? Why are you doing this thing? Are you doing it as a response to something because you think that you're response to it can help other people and okay obviously we need to survive ourselves we all we all get that that's a given but is your action because you want to help other people and you want to be a good influence in that position or are you trying to prove something and it goes both ways the people that you know are um i've got friends on both sides of this whole thing where it's you know i'm I'm going to stay in because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really considerate of other people and look how great I am because I've been staying home for a week now, considerate of other people. Look how ahead of the curve I was. That's the wrong motivation. But I've got other friends that are just like, I'm going out and I don't care who I touch and I don't care what I come in contact with. And that's, that might be, it might work that way, but look at the effect you're having on other people by that action because both sides, and again, I'm not trying to, you know, Paint someone listening and if you're feeling like I'm talking about you I'm not I'm just trying to show the difference between someone whose actions are determined by what can I do to benefit from my identity from my to benefit other people because of my identity my strength and my courage and the influence that God's given me versus there's something going on and I better do this 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 and this in order to be safe well there's a couple of really good things you brought up uh, one, I want to kind of hit that one point. I think it's wrong to tell people how they should think in the midst of one of these situations. Because it all depends on where you're positioned in that situation. 
I think a truth in the situation is in the middle of that, calm yourself to not be in the fear of it so you can hear how to navigate. It may be to go out and do this. It may be to stay home and do this. Mm -hmm. It may be a hundred different answers. But you know, if we will stop and not do it out of fear and we'll do it out of our identity and what's been given to us, you know, there was a time Jesus went into the city and was healing the sick and was speaking and doing all this. And then all of a sudden they wanted to stone him. And it said he slipped out and went into another region. There was a time to leave. There was a time to stay. So I think when we try to label how it should be, we get in trouble because everyone's in different perspectives of life and different things. But if I could bring you back to a core truth, who are you and whose are you in the midst of this situation? And that becomes the most magnified thing in your life at that moment. You will have the insight of what you are to do around your sphere of influence to make the impact. Some people, if they go out because, you know what, I'm not going to be controlled by this and I'm going to do this, is actually creating a negative influence to those around who's watching you. To some who stay home but still have a loving nature and are, are working with the community and working with uh, the local officials and are working with that could have a positive influence in the long term. It just depends on the situation that you're in. And so uh, I really want to be uh, crystal clear on that, to not deal with how you should respond, but deal with who you are and what is in you and let that become magnified and who he is that's for you. Let him be magnified so you have the clarity of when and what and how and, and how to navigate each one of these pieces. The other point you brought up, the other point that you brought up that I thought was really powerful powerful question and it needs to have this clarity of answer. A lot of times when it says we go to those that are uh, of humble hearts that have been that have been weakened, that have been hurt and 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 we go to them. I want you to remember these words that uh, Patrick said. He went with the belief that the slave master could become the liberator. A slave could be free. A murderer could bring life, and the underclass could sit with kings. So here's the question in the midst of any place that you're going to. Who's the one who needs the ministry to? All of them. So if we only look at those that are lower than where we're at right now, you're still operating from a, a different mind. If you're looking at all of those that have been given to you your sphere of influence, whether they're higher than you, lower than you, have done wrong, have done right, and you look at them how God sees them and you go to those people, that's how nations are changed. Not just by picking... Socialism works by getting the underclass to become angry at the upper class, and so then it just flips and it, it just creates a new class. God didn't do that. God didn't take one class, lower it, and lift another class. What he did is he came and brought a new class. And he brought all of them into that perspective. So just keep that in mind when you're doing this. You might know someone that's above that you just think is the one who's the oppressor. If his heart changed, he could be the, the biggest liberator 
of all of this. So I'm just saying, even in who we're reaching out to and who we're loving and who we're going to, do not look at the outward appearance or the roles or the influence or what's been done because you have no idea what God can do in the heart of a person when you have someone like Paul who is murdering Christians, creating the persecution, scattering them by his decisions to be the one that's actually uniting them, lifting them, and delivering them. And so I think that's important when we're talking about who do we influence in that, that perspective. Because we look at the bad guys in a situation, but you never know if that bad guy is the one that will actually be the best guy to bring the most hope. So I wanted to bring that perspective as we're that. going through this. We've seen that practically happen over in Thailand with our programming. And we've talked about how it relates to human trafficking. It's, it's one thing to rescue the people that are trapped in that, and that's important and it's good, and that obviously needs to happen. We, we've, we've all been in agreement on that. But what if you could influence the person that's actually running it so that they no longer are facilitating it? Because you pull five people out, they'll put five more people in the next day. But if you can actually get to the source and the core of it, then you can stop the cycle from continuing over and over again. And I think that really drives the point home because as we've talked about before, it's not about being against something. It's about being for something. It's not to tear someone else down. It's to lift someone up. That was the entirety of Jesus's ministry. I mean, I, I, there's a context of him coming against sin, coming against the enemy. Okay, we, I get that. But when it comes to how we're interacting with each other, how we're participating in the world, whatever degree that is in and whatever shape that takes, We've got to start from that perspective. How can I act or what do I want to do that lifts somebody else up? You don't need to tear something down. Even if it is a bad organization, a bad institution, a bad person, you might be 100% right that they're doing wrong things. But tearing them down is not going to bring the best result. But if you lift people up, that's how a movement starts. It is. And if you lift people up, it will tear things down. The moment people yeah. start rising up, yeah. and I don't mean rising up in a rebellion, but rising up in who they are in their position and in their identity, it wrecks it, it wrecks the, the the damaging oppressive institutional thinking. It 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 wrecks that. And so it doesn't mean there isn't time you're you're not against it. Paul Jesus had no problem going against the Pharisees. Paul had yep. no problem going against the Pharisees. Stephen had no problem standing up to the Pharisees. But even after, you know, Stephen Stone, he says, Father, forgive them. Mm-hmm. Like, because he knew that their their concept, it, it didn't, he stood up to the belief, he stood up to what they were doing, but he wasn't against them as a person. He was against the ideas and the this the evil influence that was coming forth from what they were doing. So we're not distinguishing those, the, the dealing with the evil forces that are against that use people in their plots. I'm just talking about when we're looking at people, it's so easy to, uh, you know, we don't like it when one group hates us because we're a Christian, but just to hate them because they're not, it, that doesn't solve anything. That mm-hmm. That's just operating within that same realm. Right. Uh, something else you right. said that I thought was, was really important is you have to look at the time of Jesus. The Romans were hated by the Jews. They hated the Romans. They were not happy with the Romans because the whole point with Jesus rising as a Messiah, they were hoping that he would help an overthrow of Rome. But when you look through scripture, it was six key centurion figures that impacted positively the Christian church. And without them, I don't know where the shape of that would be. 
So it's very important that we 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 go to where God is calling us to influence. I mean, just again, go back to Patrick for a moment. To go back to the land of of warring, slavery, oppression, evil. Oh, and that's where you're supposed to be a light. You're dealing with all those people. And so I, I just think that there's there's something to be said about that. But again, if we go back to what we are, go back to what God's been given us and let him become magnified in us in these situations, no matter what we're facing, because we are facing things. We are surrounded by things. There is mm-hmm. pressure all over us. But if that can be magnified, we can have the clarity to navigate through those things and the times and the seasons, when to act and when to not act and when to go. But, you're, but you'll become less conscious of yourself. And I think that's, that's probably the bigger piece. You become so conscious of who's in you versus conscious of who you are in this world is probably the biggest transition perception piece for our navigation. I honestly think that's the thought process that you see in Patrick through his life. Even when he's going back, I honestly think there was there was probably an anger when he would see what was going on, when he would go over the memories of his time being a slave. I don't think that's something that you naturally just get rid of and you just you can you get to a point where it, it doesn't have a hold over you and it doesn't affect you, but there's a righteous anger that you should have those evil things but it's interesting to see his approach and the approach that i think proves out in history is if you really want to tear something down that's oppressing people you go and free the people and help them realize they don't have to be bound by it anymore that'll do more to destroy the evil thing than any kind of protest any kind of any war any battle you free the people that it's oppressing and it it crumbles and i think that's such a powerful thing that we see and we can and Man, if we could just focus on that and see that as being the core of our influence. I mean, personally, I can tell I've, I've been on both sides of that. I've been the person that's so angry at an evil thing and posting about it and arguing against it. And there's, you know, you, you feel things in that. You feel righteous. You feel that righteous anger at times. But there's just something so much more pure when you free someone that's oppressed from that thing and you see their life actually change because if you don't free the person that's being oppressed and you do tear down the old system then what have you really done now you've got a bunch of people that were oppressed that still have no direction still don't know what to do how we act towards those things is going to differ based on who we are what's our gifting where we're coming from and the perspective i don't want anyone to stop uh pursuing the stopping of whether it's Killing of children, whether it's of slavery, I don't want them to stop doing yes, that. Yes, correct. What I'm trying to get at is to get the motive right that it's not just a anger that you start hating everybody versus a anger that you hate what is actually hurting the person that you're trying to rescue and is hurting the person that's doing the oppression. That's where the anger should be. And again, Jesus stood up to a lot of them. Jesus... Paul stood up to people. It doesn't mean you can't stand. So what are you saying? I have to just just be apathetic and not. No, it all depends. We need people to have voices that are un, unmovable by the forces of the enemy. I mean, can you imagine being a prophet in the Old Testament? Mm-hmm. They were the most unliked people, and they spoke things that no one wanted to hear. So I, I, I think, again, we could focus too much of how do we do this? Well, 
I, I think you're looking for a measured way to see if you're successful at it or not successful. You're still looking at a cultural PR norm of how to deal with issues in our life versus coming back to who you are, rising up in that, and some people will be a Samson, and some people will be a Naomi, and some people will be a Ruth, and some people will be a Peter, and some people will be a John, and then there's thousands of other new personalities. But they're all right because it's dealing with the thing that they were created for to deal with. And I think that is the application is going to be so varied, but the core thing won't change. When you know who you are, you know what's been given to you, and you magnify the one of whose you are and what he's put on the inside of you, and that becomes the greatest magnification of any decision you ever make, things will begin to change, or at least you'll begin freeing people around you. And you won't be considering, what are the people thinking about me? All right, we're going to wrap it up for today. We appreciate you guys tuning in. Just a couple of things to recap. There's a lot of panic in the world right now, and you might be feeling that too. One of the things we wanted to encourage you guys with is just keep a level head about this stuff. We're not going to sit here and tell you what to do or what not to do because I don't know your situation. You might need to do something that someone else doesn't need to. That's not the point. I'm not going to try to be someone that knows what's best for your life. But I do know that if you have the Spirit of God living in you, and we take a moment to breathe, look around us, reflect on what we've been given, who we are, understand whose we are, where we come from, that we end up making better decisions when we do that first. When we end up with reactions, with kind of this knee-jerk response stuff, in general, that doesn't work out so well. And there, there's always this fear of responding or reacting too late to something. So take a deep breath, look around, keep a level head, make good decisions, and reach out to us if you have questions on stuff. I mean, we're on social media. You can get the website. You can comment on the podcast. Um, you can find us on ThinkSpot now, too, by the way. There's a lot of good conversations happening there. Um, so again, if you guys have questions on this stuff, because... You know, we take 40, 45 minutes to, to talk about this, and there's a lot of questions that can come up that we didn't have time to go into. Let us know. We want to hear from you. We enjoy those conversations. So until next time, we appreciate you guys. Stay safe, keep a level head, and we'll be back next week.